Good morning. Again, please turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12. My goodness, my Bible is falling apart. This is the Bible oh, that um, Jill gave me uh, 11 days after we were engaged in 1988. It says, presented to my forever love, Todd K. Lanting, with all my love, Jill, on his birthday, 1988, thank you for being my partner in Jesus. Yeah, I think that... <laughs> And I remembered, and she didn't believe me because she said it before I could, but I remembered the day that we were engaged was December 17. So now I'm, I'm just going to do a comparison test here to see how proud I should be. How many guys know the day they were engaged? Remember the date? Okay, it's like 10. Okay, now, how many ladies know the date you were engaged? Oh, yeah. oh. Okay, guys, they're, they're ahead of us again. <laughs> um, 1 Corinthians 12. I can get this rebound, can't I? Can you, like, take a Bible in and get a rebound? I think I need to get a rebound. Um, you recall, you recall last week that we looked at Jesus' prayer in John 17, his final prayer uh, before he died on the cross, and we saw there how much and how deeply unity was on Jesus' heart literally the night before he died. Make them one, he prayed on his way to the cross. Make them one so that the world would see God's love in their oneness, in their unity. See that close, intimate, family kind of love that God is all about. Because Jesus knows that people long for compassion, long for love. He knows because he made us. God knows that we're desperate for a place to belong, desperate to be loved. And Jesus knows also that when God's people, his family, are united in love, despite their many differences, that when God's people are united in love, people given their desperation to be loved and want to be part of that. They'll want to be a part of it, part of God's family, God's love in Christ Jesus. That's really evangelism. So he prayed, Father, make them one. And so this week and next, we'll continue looking to start this year at this unity that God wants from his people, this unity and diversity, this powerful witness to the world of God's love. Your Bibles are open to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I'll begin reading at verse 1, where Paul writes to the church in Corinth, Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. It's interesting to note that translators tell us that spiritual gifts can also be translated spiritual things. Or even better yet, spiritual people. Some have the opinion that this probably reflects a bit at least the prideful way that the Corinthian leaders referred to themselves. The grammar and the syntax of the original Greek hints at least of a tinge of irony in Paul's use of that phrase, spiritual gifts or spiritual people, as if Paul is saying something like, so you spiritual people, as you like to call yourselves, I hear. But 
from what I hear, you really don't understand what it means to be spiritual people, to do spiritual things, to exercise spiritual gifts. Let me explain what it means to be spiritual people, what it means to do spiritual things or exercise spiritual gifts. Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. They're different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. And right at the top, Paul makes it very clear that it's the Holy Spirit that enables people to be spiritual, to do spiritual things. Spiritual gifts are given freely by the Holy Spirit. Verse 5, there are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. And here Paul makes clear that part of what makes people spiritual, at least a foundational part, is an attitude of service. Humility, service to others, just like Jesus' attitude that Paul emphasizes elsewhere, perhaps most in that famous passage from Philippians where Jesus humbles himself and takes on the attitude of a servant. Verse 6, there are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. In other words, again, it ain't us. It is God, God in us and through us that enables us to do spiritual things. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by that one Spirit. Do you see his emphasis of where this comes from? Lest any should boast. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To yet another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit. And he gives them to each one, just as he determines. And so believers are spiritual people and able to do spiritual things by the power of the Holy Spirit. And, did you catch it, each person, each believer has at least one spiritual gift. And what makes the gift spiritual? Well, certainly it's spiritual because it's given by the Spirit. But there's another part to what makes it a spiritual gift. And don't miss this one. What makes a gift a spiritual gift is that it's done out of love for the common good. Whatever the gift, it's spiritual, spiritual brothers. It's spiritual only when it's done for the good of community and love to the glory of God. Now, a note here on this listing of spiritual gifts. Paul also has lists of spiritual gifts in such places as Romans 12 and Ephesians 4, and none of his lists are identical. This suggests that none of Paul's lists then, either individually or even together, is intended to be comprehensive or inclusive. The gifts are instead examples. 
And given the range of functions, oh my goodness, covered by Paul's various lists, it's likely, at least, that he intends that any talent, any ability, whether it suddenly, supernaturally appears in transformational fashion instantly, or whether God chooses to grow it in us over time gradually, any talent, any ability is a spiritual gift. If a, if a believer uses what the Spirit gives them for God's glory and his work in the world, that's what makes the gift spiritual. That's what makes people spiritual people. One commentator puts it this way. The mason, the carpenter, the electrician, the painter, the engineer, the plumber, all have special gifts which are from God and can be used by him. And we could easily add to that list until it went on forever this morning if we tried to list every talent and ability that people have all of which is given by God, yes? Whatever you do, whatever we do, brothers and sisters, whatever talent or passion or gift or ability you have, when you use it to God's glory for the common good, your gift is spiritual. You are spiritual people exercising spiritual gifts. In that sense, we're all charismatic Christians. We are, at least as the, in the biblical sense of the term, rather than what the term has come to mean now in the church over the years, which tends to divide. You see, there's this tendency, and the Corinthian church had the same one. Go figure. There's this tendency to only acknowledge more visible or extravagant gifts as spiritual. You know, as if there's like supernatural stuff on the one side and natural stuff on the other. But it's all from God, isn't it? Everything we have and all we are is from God. In that sense, what do we have that's natural and not of God? Anything? What makes what we've been given spiritual is when we do it out of our love of God and others. All we have, all our abilities, all our giftedness, every talent, it's all from God. I often tease um, my students when they would come to me and they'd be waving their test in their hand and they'd come, Mr. Lanning, I got an A. And my response, depending on my mood, but my response more often than not would be something like, oh, really? You got an A. How did you manage that? And then after they give me a look that says something like, oh, I'm so glad I shared with you this this morning. They might rally, as kids do, and say something. Well, I, I studied really hard this time. And I'll say something like, well, way to go. And who made your brain so that you could study and actually remember? And now they're on to me. God, they ask. Now you get an A. Or how many of us, when we get over being sick, might say, I was sick, and then I got better. Wow, you got better, huh? Did you do that on your own? Well, I took some medicine, and 
science made me better, or I saw this specialist from Vancouver, and boy, her treatment cured me. Well, and who made the plants in the African jungles, or who's responsible for the science that resulted in that medicine or treatment, and who gave that doctor her ability? It's all God, my friends. Now, someone who says, I got an A, or I got better, I know they may not intentionally be taking credit away from God, so maybe I need to lighten up. But language is powerful. And even something this simple, even however subconsciously, can slowly contribute toward inching us toward idolatry. You say, whoa, idolatry, there's a big loaded word. Isn't that a little strong? Well, what's idolatry? Idolatry isn't idolatry when we give credit to something or someone other than God. Isn't that idolatry? And the idol we most naturally stumble into worshiping is ourselves. We take credit ourselves rather than giving credit to God, the author of all good things. Even if we would think of it as a spiritual discipline, what a powerful difference, don't you think, that Over time, at least, very subtly, and sometimes subtle things can be the most powerful, especially with the Spirit's weight behind them. But what if we, over time, trained ourselves just to say things like and express things like, what I know is truly on our hearts that we want to give credit to God, but what if we trained our language even and we train ourselves to say things like, by God's grace, I got that A. Or by God's power in whatever form, but by God's power, by God's grace, I'm not sick anymore. Now there's a witness. There's a witness that you're one who gives credit to God. Because here's the thing, none of us can do anything without God. Nothing. Every breath that you're taking here on the time we're together this morning, everybody go like this. You know, you were able to take that breath by God's grace period. What are you doing here to keep your heart beating the next beat? Boom. Boom. Are you doing that? This is the sovereign creator God who is in and sustains all things from moment to moment for each one of us allowing your heart to beat one more time. We're nothing without him. In that respect at least, what is this supernatural versus natural? What's natural? What natural ability do we have that isn't supernatural, that is, doesn't come from God? And the Corinthians struggled here with this sort of pride as if any one of them could be, uh, you know, on their own be spiritual people or exercise spiritual gifts. So, So, so far, we know each of us has at least one gift or talent or ability freely given by grace by the Holy Spirit. And you know, I haven't met anyone, at least under this definition of giftedness, that doesn't have several. But everybody has at least one, Paul assures the Corinthian church and us. And the question is, will we indeed use those gifts as God intended? 
That is to say, use them as spiritual gifts by using them to the glory of God, which means using them in love to serve others in community. Beginning in verse 12, Paul then gives his famous metaphor of the human body. He says, all of us with our spiritual gifts are just like a human body with its many different parts. And a human body needs different parts or it just doesn't work. It stops being a human body. Imagine, imagine a human body that was all knees and elbows. Can you imagine? You know, what good would that be except maybe you could be the Twister champion of the world? Some of you don't know Twister, or you do know Twister, well, funny anyway. You know, right foot green. You know, left hand blue, okay. How about this one? If the body was all knuckles, then we'd all be knuckleheads. Well, and if we were all feet, that would really stink. But um. Do you want me to stop? Okay, I'll stop. The point is the body not only does have different parts, but the body must, strong word, must have diverse parts to function. It's what makes it a body. It's what makes it human. And so, too, with the church. The church needs diversity. As each part, each person uses their different from all the others spiritual gifts for the common good. What it doesn't need is only knuckles or knees or feet. Won't work. Sit there, flop around. It won't sustain. It's not healthy. It won't fully witness God because a full witness of a perfect unity and diversity God, the triune God, a full witness of Him and His love needs unity and diversity, even as He is. And wow, my friends. Do we get into trouble when we start looking around at others in the body and start thinking we'd be better off without them? Like a human body, thinking he'd be better off without arms. Can you imagine? But we do that sometimes, don't we, as people of God? Corinthian church apparently did too because Paul gets into that problem beginning in verse 15. Now the body is not made up of one part but of many, Paul writes. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, seeing that big eye from Lord of the Rings now, right? If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. 
and the head can't see to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body but that its part should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. After hearing this, I wonder if Paul, uh, I wonder if Paul was dismayed if the Corinthians replied, we got you, Paul, we're all ears. <laughs> Had to try once more. And if so, Paul would say, Oi, no! Paul's saying the opposite. We need each other. We have to be different. And we need each other to be different and to fill different roles if we're to be a powerful witness, a full witness of the unity of God and a full witness of what God wants with his people and for his people with each other in community. The other problem we run into sometimes, have you run into this before in Christian ministry, is when a knee starts wanting everyone else to be knees. Well, she were just a knee like me, or if he would just me be a little more uh, knee-ish instead of an elbow, it's poking me. Be careful. That's not God's plan for the body, for the church. We need to be different to function just like a human body needs its different parts to function. You show me you show me a burned-out pastor or a burned-out-on-church member, burned-out-on-church member, and I'll bet I'll show you someone who finally caved under the pressure to become an arm when he or she is a hip. Which isn't to say that we should never critique each other in love. But, oh, be careful that it's really critique in love. And it's not merely masquerading as an attempt to force someone into using a gift she simply doesn't have. If you're an elbow and you're frustrated the person next to you isn't one, well, Take it to God. Focus on being a better elbow with him rather than trying to force someone else to be just like you when they may not be gifted the same way that you are. It's the same thing, really, isn't it? At the end of John's Gospel, when Peter asks a question, Peter can't resist asking questions. Thank God for Peter. We would know like half as much as we know about Jesus in life if it hadn't been for Peter's questions. Jesus has just told Peter that he'll die for his faith. He'll be a Christian martyr, and Peter can't resist. He asks, well, what about John? And his question brings Jesus to a full stop. Peter, let me worry about John. Let's you and I just focus on you. And you know, it's no coincidence that chapter 13 follows chapter 12. Chapter 13, that famous chapter on love, 
I'll bet all of you remember it. I bet all of you have heard of it. I bet most of the people in the world outside of the church have heard of it too. It's largely studied even in secular universities as one of the finest statements ever on love. But how I wish we didn't have a chapter break between 12 and 13. Because Paul didn't, those were added later. And his famous chapter 13 on love is talking about the body of Christ in context. The church working together in harmony like a human body. And oh sure, this love chapter can be trotted out at weddings and to talk about the love between a husband and wife. And that's fine, but that's not Paul's primary intention. Paul's intention, what inspires chapter 13, is he's continuing to describe the relationship among the people of God, exercising their spiritual gifts for the common good. Chapter 12 flows right into it. And if you doubt it, look at what flows right out of chapter 13. Chapter 14, Paul continues talking about the same topic, only this time it's two of the more controversial gifts, prophecy and tongues. He doesn't change topics here. Chapter 13 is about the body. That great love chapter is supposed to be about us, brothers and sisters in Christ, and our exercise of spiritual gifts. Listen again, if you would, my friends, to 1 Corinthians 13. And and I don't know, maybe for the first time, hear it in Paul's context of how we Brothers and sisters in Christ are to function as a diverse body, a church, exercising spiritual gifts for the common good. The end of 12, he starts, and now I I will show you the most excellent way. Well, what way? Way to what? Well, in context, the most excellent way to be spiritual people, to exercise spiritual gifts. I'll show you how. Here's how. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, wow, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It isn't rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Wow. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. 
verse 13, and now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Without love, my friends, our gifts are not spiritual gifts. In fact, they're worthless. Of no value at all. This past Friday night, Jefferson County Schools held their honors orchestra and band concert right here on this very stage. Many of you were here, I know. Some of our youth even uh, performed. My goodness. I was in my office Friday night. I saw the cars cramming in the parking lot, so I wandered over. I said, what's going on? I, you know. It was a congregational meeting. You know, don't want to miss that. You never know. It was amazing. My goodness, those kids are talented. And I sat there up with John as he was running the sound, and I just, of course, I had today's message on my mind, and so that helped. What struck me Friday night was the absolute beauty of all of those individual diverse kids with their diverse instruments with all shapes and sizes brought together in complete unity. It's just extraordinary. You don't even have to love music, and it's impressive. You know, these kids come wandering out of the stage. They're shuffling around. You know, they're poking each other. They're dragging their stuff. They got all this stuff. Moving chairs, milling around. There's like this hubbub, and you know, oh, it's like pretty much chaos. And then their director, their rabbi, steps up to her music stand, and they kind of notice she's getting near, but they're still kind of messing around. She takes her baton in her hand, and she goes, And there's instant unity and diversity and order. There's instant, and I mean this in every sense of the word, what the Bible calls shalom. Her arms go up, and everyone in their individual, you know, you know they're just stopped in mid-sentence, man, because now it's all of those bows on all of those violins just, whoosh. that's beautiful. Could have heard a pin drop. And my sense of humor is that I, I wonder how long she'll stand there. So I can't be a director. I would be tempted just to. Brings her hands down. Boom. The kettle drum hits and this music. And it's just beautiful. Oh. Sometimes as a 
preacher, you have to go and find illustrations, and sometimes an illustration comes and finds you. And my friends there, it was Friday night, unity and diversity on display, and it was beautiful. And it was inviting. It created such a sense of longing. You couldn't take your eyes off of them, playing so well together. It's like, where do these kids come from? (laughs) You couldn't pull your heart away. You couldn't look away. It was beautiful, inviting, and you wanted to be a part of that, even if you never played an instrument in your life. I remember thinking, why did I stop playing the cornet? Oh, I wish I could play a violin. Look at them. I wanted to be a part of it. And my next thought, that's how the church is supposed to be to the world. That's how the world will feel about the church if we ever get our act together. My all-time favorite movie is the movie Amadeus. I think I've shared clips with you from that movie before, different ones than the ones I'm about to share. I brought a couple of scenes to share with you this morning inspired by Friday night's concert. In a second, you'll see Antonio Salieri, a composer in old age now, consumed with jealousy over Mozart's talent. And he's disgusted with how Mozart behaves. Has good reason, actually, but he's disgusted with how he behaves, and he thinks Mozart should behave more like him. So he wants to discredit Mozart. He wants to oppose Mozart because he sees all of Mozart's individual faults and weaknesses, but... Salieri is also a man torn because Mozart's music captivates him. And so Salieri remembers back to when he was young and heard Mozart's music for the first time, remembers when Mozart's wife came and shared some of the music on the page that Mozart was writing and He remembers, Salieri does, how that impacted him. And he speaks of, in particular, see if you catch it, he speaks of the music's unity and diversity, speaks of its different parts. And it's so beautiful, so amazing, so perfect to him. In his words, he calls it the voice of, of God. Now as we watch, think of Paul's words in 1 Corinthians on unity in diversity. See if you can see or feel the many parallels. Let's watch. The beginning simple, almost comic. Just a pulse, bassoons, basset horns, like a rusty squeeze box. Suddenly, high above it, an oboe. A single note hanging there, unwavering. Until 
A clarinet took it over. Sweetened it into a phrase of such delight. This was no composition by a performing monkey. This was a music I'd never heard. Filled with such longing, such unfulfillable longing. It seemed to me that I was hearing a voice of God. Excuse me. But why? Why would God choose an obscene child to be his instrument? It was not to be believed. This piece had to be an accident, but had to be. It better be. Are you sure you can't leave this and, and come back again? It's very tempting, sir. But it's impossible, I'm afraid. Wolfgang would be frantic if he found those were missing. You see, they're all originals. Originals? Yes, sir. He doesn't make copies. These are originals?
It is miraculous. We spend so much time at odds, brothers and sisters in Christ, bickering with each other over theology, over whatever. And all God wants us to do is to love each other. Because there's a world that's straining to find something through the prison bars of sin because they don't yet know the Lord or know his love. And we're supposed to be the absolute beauty that God's prepared for them to see and experience so they will know him. When God's diversely gifted people take their gifts and use them for the common good so that they're indeed the spiritual gifts God intends, that is indeed the beautiful, inviting, miraculous voice of God to a world desperate to hear him and to find him and to join in with him. This morning, there's another opportunity to join in with this particular local church's expression, our expression of the voice of God. In a second, I'm going to ask you to join me downstairs into our ministry fair, where you can decide, if you like, to join the orchestra, both literally and figuratively. <laughs> to join in with everyone else, to take your gifts and use them for the common good together with this people of God here at West Bulls and thereby make them an exercise of spiritual gifts given to you by the Spirit. Somewhere down there is a place for you, even if you're a Jets fan. Won't you make the commitment this morning to find a place in the life of this church to invest your time and talents for others? Is God asking you to do it? If he is, will you respond? And please, whether you're already a member or if you're seeking to become a member, stop by the covenant membership table. You know, what membership boils down here at West Bowles is making a promise to God that you'll do your best, so help you, God, to join in with the people of God here in witnessing unity and diversity through loving God and loving others. That's it. And you're all able to make that promise, and I hope you're considering it because we'd love to have you. There's room in the symphony for some different instruments.
and we need you. The more diverse, the more fully our love witnesses our unity and diversity, God. We'll close in prayer, and then together, let's go see what's going on downstairs, shall we? Would you stand, please, for the closing prayer and benediction we'll include in the prayer this morning. Father in heaven, um, you've made it so simple. You've boiled it down to a word Love. Love in and because and with Christ. And we've made it so hard. We keep stumbling into self. We keep muting the witness you would have through us to the world of a God who is love no matter who you are. Father, I'd ask that you would help us through and in the power of the Holy Spirit for us to join with him in taking the many gifts that you've given each one of us, no matter what they are, and intentionally, with effort, doing all we can to use those gifts to your glory through loving others in your name, that the world may know there is a God and salvation in Jesus and Jesus alone. Father, as we go downstairs, I'd ask that you move in people's hearts and minds and would prompt them if you'd like um, to show them where they can serve so many different ways. Put that on their heart and mind this morning and through this week the opportunity again next week and give them an ear to hear. And I ask, Father, that for all, that all the people here, Father, I ask that you bless them. Father, please keep them. And Father, make, make your face shine upon them and be gracious to them Turn your face toward them, Father, and give them your peace, your shalom. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and all God's people said, amen. amen. Want to go to a fair? Yeah. Let's go see what's going on downstairs, shall we?